If you turn to John chapter 5, John chapter 5, as we continue our journey here with the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, this incredible picture that he paints for us of the Savior, uh, the Saviorhood of Jesus is visible in this gospel, uh, more really, I think, than all of the rest of the gospels. But very specifically, we see Jesus just ministering the, his sweetness wherever he goes. And, and it is so beautiful as we see the life of the Lord kind of uh, explode before us in these various stories. We're going to take the first 15 verses here in John 5. But Jesus is now going to go up. Remember, he's been in the region of Galilee. He went to Capernaum, and he's gone back up the road along from Migdal and Magdala uh, to Cana to his hometown of Nazareth. He's now back in Jerusalem. And so we pick up a story at these pools uh, that are, at the time, would have been outside of the city walls, the pool of Bethesda. And Bethesda meaning the house of mercy, or the house of the flowing is another way that it's understood uh, from the Aramaic word Bethesda. Uh, But just north of the temple wall, not very far from the Antonia Fortress, uh, there was these twin pools, and they were near the sheep gate. And Remember, we think of sheep kind of in a livestock sense, but remember that its location next to the temple, which would be in the top left-hand corner of that photo you're looking at, uh, that's the temple. And so the entrance to the sheep gate was where all of the sheep who were going to be offered before the Lord would come. So it makes a great deal of sense that the one who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world would have gone to the sheep gate. And so as he's going to the sheep gate, he stops at these two twin pools, the pools of Bethesda. They were ritual baths. Uh, to the Hebrew person, to the Jewish person, they were t- twin mikveh, or they would have been a ritual bath where they would have cleansed themselves prior to going into the temple compound. And so put these things in your mind. And now imagine that as people were coming to the temple to offer up their sacrifice, to bring their lamb before the Lord, Jesus goes to this pool, and at this pool were waiting all of these people who were tired and hungry and sick and lame and blind. And it was a place where people would have come and and they would have been bearing uh, gifts to leave before the Lord. And so it was a place where hopefully they could find a touch from someone. And so it is there that we pick up the story. And if you travel there today, uh, in the courtyard of St. Anne's Church, both pools are still there. Uh, you can actually walk down inside of the, the ruins and, and kind of imagine Jesus standing there. But this beautiful picture of Jesus now going to this place where everyone's waiting for God to do something. They're waiting, in essence, for real faith. And we find a man who's ready to rise up and walk. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this amazing story of what you sent your Son into this world to do. That by faith, we who were once dead can be made alive. We who were blind can see. And we pray that this simple story of faith 
I would encourage and strengthen us this morning. We are grateful for your word, the power that it has to transform and change. We ask all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus, stepping down the steps into this pool to the, to the very edge of it, we pick up the story in verse 1. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And so Jesus is now making the transit some 65 miles back to the city of Jerusalem from the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool. It's where we find now the story of Jesus intersecting the lives of all these people. Which in Hebrew, called Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And as you read these words, of course, in the context, it's easy to visualize, uh, even in this, this representation of what it may have looked like. But modernize it and think of it this way. How many today came to this place, came to this pool, came to somewhere where they hoped to intersect the power of the living God. They came to a place where maybe you came in and you're blind. Maybe spiritually, maybe emotionally. Maybe you came in and you're lame. Perhaps physically. Maybe provisionally. Maybe there's a financial difficulty in your life and you came in today and you're hoping somehow to get a touch from the Lord. You see, these people were waiting, and we're going to see in the story of this man, he'd been there a very long time. People are still looking for God to touch them. And the good news is, that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to touch you. He wants to touch your life. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of water was made well of whatever disease he had. And so you can kind of imagine the variety of people there, and this man might have had the excuse he's unable to beat everyone else to the water. The circumstances of his life had prevented him from receiving a touch from the Lord. And we're going to see that this is still very common today. People have their excuses as to why they believe the Lord maybe doesn't want to touch them, and yet he does. And now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Maybe that's you. Maybe the emotional brokenness of your life has lasted for decades. Maybe the pain of some actual sickness, a disease, is with you even this morning. Perhaps you've come to the pool and you are the lame man. And you're looking. 
and you're waiting and you're hoping for a stirring of the waters in your life. God wants to do that very thing this morning, church. He wants to touch lives and make whole. He wants to heal brokenness. Much like this lame man, he's still touching the broken areas of our lives. He wants to do it. And notice verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, and here it is, here's the question. How about you? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Because God wants to make whatever is broken in your life, whatever is sick in your life, whatever needs His touch in your life, God still is in the business of making well those who are broken and sick and in need of a touch from Him. He didn't stop doing it then. He's still touching lives. And you might say to yourself, well, how is that? How many of us in this room have received a touch from the Lord and maybe we were broken in our alcohol consumption? We were broken in some kind of a relationship. We were broken in drugs. We were broken in gang life. We were broken in our our work life. We were broken in our marriages. We were broken someplace, somehow, somewhere, and Jesus touched you and made you whole. If that's you, say amen. 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 That's my story. That collectively is our stories. All I know is like we've already sung today, I was blind and now I see. It's a work of faith, power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It was the stirring of the pool in your life and my life, in our lives. And it begins at salvation and continues as we seek lives of faith. And God is asking you today, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be healed? Because He's willing if you want it. And the sick man answered and said to him. Read these words carefully. It wasn't for any lack on Jesus' part. It was not that the man could not be healed. There was no problem with the authority and the power of the one who was going to touch this man's life. But there was an excuse. What's your excuse? What are you clinging to? What are you hanging on to? What has taken up residence in your life that's keeping you from affirmatively answering, God, heal me? God, heal me. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. You see the excuse? 
And it was legitimate. It was true in the sense that he was beaten to the water every single time. But what he failed to see is it actually wasn't the water that was healing. It was the faith that was making them whole. And that faith is available to everyone, all day, every day. That faith well did not dry up. That faith spring is still bubbling and full. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Notice he doesn't command him to know something. Doesn't command him to understand the deep depths of what it means to be healed. He doesn't even make the man actually go to the water. He says, by faith, take up your bed, rise and walk. And sometimes I wonder how many of us are not touched, how many of the broken areas of our lives are not healed because we will not heed the admonition Take up your bed, rise, and walk. We want to stay with our excuses. We want to continue to cling to the things that have kept us in bondage. And immediately he took his bed because he was made well and walked with it. And that day was a Sabbath. And I want you to see the reaction now to the religionists of the day. To those who still to this day have some kind of complaint that something's wrong with the way you exercise your faith. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Well, I don't like the way you do communion. When you baptize people, you don't hold them down long enough. (laughs) You guys use a plastic pool. That's not honoring the Lord. And yes, I got an email that said that. (laughs) And I say it because it still exists today. The fault finders, the religionists, the legalists... The ones who say you're not doing church the right way still exist. But it wasn't church that healed this man. It wasn't religion that healed this man. It was not a practice or a procedure that healed this man. It was faith alone in Christ alone that healed this man. Amen? You see, the Jewish people thought they had a lock on how to relate to God. And so they had created not one, not two, but actually 36 specific things that you could not do on a Sabbath day. One of them was carry a burden. They completely looked past the thing that religion had not done for this man for 38 years. Well, he couldn't possibly be healed. 
It's what religion always does. Complains when you say I have a personal relationship with my Savior Jesus. And he answered, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And then they ask him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? You see how crazy this whole argument is? This, this is what happens when you start haggling over pews versus chairs. Lights or no lights. Video, no video. And I'm only using this as a, as a way for you to modernize and understand it. People get all concerned about how somebody got healed instead of rejoicing in the fact that he's actually healed. We need to be rejoicing that people get healed. Amen? That people get saved. And maybe it looks different in one church versus this church. I don't care how people come to faith in Christ. I only care that they do come to faith in Christ. The real Jesus by the real gospel, the real Lord, when somebody really gets saved, we should be rejoicing about it, not going, I don't think you did it right. <laughs> you know, we have a class before you can get saved. <laughs> There's no class here. He didn't go to a healing seminar. He didn't say, well, we'd love to heal you, but you're just not qualified. Sometimes we make so complex things that are so simple. It's faith in Christ alone. It's God's Word that has power. It's not how you do church. It's that you know the Lord Jesus. That's what we see in this picture. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. I love this part. This is awesome. There's so much faith involved in this picture of this healing, and it actually does not indicate that necessarily this man immediately came to faith in Christ, but he believed what Jesus said. He simply believed what Jesus said. That's all he did. Didn't read a book. Didn't go through a process. He just simply acted by faith on what he heard. Let's not keep people from Jesus by making it something other than faith. Because it is by grace through faith that anyone is saved. It's not by religion. It's by relationship with the King of Kings. said, I, I really don't know. Jesus had withdrawn, and the multitude being in that place afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, so we know he was Jewish. But that was the only way you'd be found in the temple. You couldn't get in unless you were. Because if you were not Jewish and made it into the temple confines itself, that would have been a death penalty. So the man was a Jewish man. And said to him, See? You've been made well. So now he knows who it is. So it won't take very long before he's going to put two and two together. And I believe this is where the gospel begins to sink in. Notice what Jesus says to him. 
sin no more. He doesn't say, you know what, you're fine, just do whatever you want. You know, as long as you feel good about your sin, you're okay. As long as you have an explanation for why you sin, go ahead and keep on sinning. He tells him the same thing and he tells the other woman at the well, go and sin no more. Stop sinning. Why? Because we've been saved from the penalty of sin, which is death. Amen? Don't do it. Lest a worse thing come upon you. Anybody in here ever experienced as a believer when you sin with knowledge, it's worse than when you didn't know Jesus? Why is that? Because you've been bought and paid for with a price. The precious blood of the Lamb has redeemed you, and it is absolutely unfathomable that we would stain the name of the Lord by doing the very things that we've been saved from doing. So he says, don't sin anymore because it won't go good for you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Some lessons from our passage. You see, real faith gets up and walks. And I'll give you a little reading assignment. James chapter 2, when you get home, maybe sometime this week, go through it this week. And you're going to see a picture. You see, real faith really does something. Real faith is expressed in how you relate to the fact that you have it. If you're a child of God, then the faith that you now possess through Jesus Christ is actually going to do something in your life. James will actually go on in that second chapter and say, look, I'll show you my faith by my works. You're not saved by them, but if you're really a child of God, you're going to rise up and walk. Amen? For me, there's, there's instantaneous things that God has done in my life. I have no explanation for them. I know I was an alcoholic, and then I was not an alcoholic and have not ever been an alcoholic since I was not an alcoholic because he saved me from it. I know that. That's incontrovertible in my life. People can tell you that knew me. Yep, he was a mess. But nobody can say, well, I saw Pastor Jeff drunk, because it hasn't happened. Delivered, set free. Real faith works. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. That's just an example that you can relate to. I'm not saying that for any other purpose. And every one of you in here has a story that's similar to that. You were involved in drugs. You were involved in a relationship. You had a destroyed marriage. You had things going on in your life where real faith got up and walked. You can see it. It's tangible. You're not going to be one, well, you know, I don't know if my faith is real. No, when you abide in the vine, you're going to have real faith. And it's going to express itself in all kinds of different ways. You're going to get up, and contrary to the religionists of our day, you're going to walk. That real faith was patient faith. It's waiting faith. You know, sometimes, and I hate this, you're not going to like this, but I actually have to wait on the Lord just like you do. I have to wait for God's perfect timing. This man waited 38 years. Anybody in here been waiting a few decades for something to happen? I have. I've got unsaved family members. 
I have people that I love that if they were to perish today, they would die and spend eternity separated from God. And I've been praying for them for decades. And thus far, that prayer has in heaven a a result that God wants, and on earth, by man's stubborn rebellion. I'm still waiting in faith, Lord, please, in Jesus' name. Real faith has patience. Just because you don't see the answer right away doesn't mean that God didn't hear it and isn't acting on it right now. You need to trust Him and rest. Walk in that peace. In this picture, real faith is stirring faith. It's abiding faith. It's active faith. It's powerful faith. Can you imagine when all the people are looking and the angels come stir the water and all of a sudden these people freak out? These porticos, these porches were surrounding the pool. And they'd all be sitting in them, basically waiting for the stirring of the water. And you can see the, the one guy who's just like fearless and just dives out of the window into the pool. It's like something's happening. You know, sometimes we just need to dive into the pool, family. We need to say, God's moving, let's move with Him. Amen? He's at work doing something. Jump in. You can sit around, well, I don't think that's a stirring. That's not how a stirring looks in my Bible. You know, I've been in some crazy situations in the mission field. I remember I was in Yugoslavia, and we're in a bar, okay? We're in a bar. We're not drinking. (laughs) You're not really thinking, you know, this is a good place for an evangelical event to occur. But it was the only place in town where people gathered. Besides, it's a communist country at the time. It's like, we're going to get arrested if we're out on the street. Let's go to the bar. And all of a sudden, people are gathering around and they want to talk about Jesus and like half the bar got saved. There are people on the floor giving their life to Jesus. It, didn't, it doesn't look like... I'm not a, and please, don't say God called you to a bar ministry today. <laughs> Somebody will send me an email. Oh, I've been called to all the bars in the South Bay. Not trying to make doctrine. That's what religion does. It's like, well, we're starting a bar ministry now. <laughs> but it happened. It was a stirring. It's something that God did in that moment. You respond to it, and all of a sudden, the Lord does it. Maybe He never does it again. Are you willing to jump in because real faith gets stirred up? Real faith dwells in Jesus. Real faith moves when He moves. Real faith is healing faith. Touches people's brokenness. This man was an untouchable person. He was a broken person. And yet, he couldn't make it by his own account. And so Jesus made it to him. Don't ever give up on the fact that God goes to the broken as well. Your part is to share the truth with them. Your part is not to save them. You can't save anyone. You have no power to heal anyone in you. But Christ has the power to heal everyone. And He will go Himself to them. You be faithful to pray and ask in faith for them to be healed. 
And the moment I said, well, you know, I have this person I've been praying for and they're not healed. That just means one of two things. Either God's waiting, his timing is not yet, or he has a reason that he is not going to heal them. But you keep praying. It's not your job to determine how much faith God is going to express in your life. It's your job to believe that in faith all things are possible through him who loves us. Amen? Amen. You just rest in it. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep going when the waters jump in. And I want you to notice what healed this man. What heals him? The word of the Lord. Rise up and walk. He didn't give him a handful of words. Rise up and walk. Take your bed and go. That's how simple the good news of the gospel is. That's how simple it is when God is at work. We, we make it way too complex sometimes. You, you see, just trust the word of the Lord. This man was, was in essence a victim of what we're all a victim of. We've been born in Adam, amen? So sin and sickness is our lot. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every last one of us. 100%. If you came in today and you thought you weren't a sinner, I'm sorry, but you are. You may have thought that somehow you were not born a sinner. Everyone's born a sinner. And the horrible news is the penalty of sin is death. But here's the good news. The free gift of life is found in Christ Jesus. So you can be cured of that penalty of sin, which is death. But everyone's sick. Everyone's got their issues. Anybody in here got issues? I got issues. We got issues. Humankind has issues. You're surrounded by people who live near you who have major issues. They're sick. And the problem is, if they go unhealed spiritually, they also will perish eternally. So you need to offer them the cure. That's one of the ministries that Jesus had. When he came, the prophet Isaiah, actually there in Isaiah 35, gave us some insights of what Jesus would be doing. He was drawing men to himself. He's saying, look, I can do things that no one else can do. You read that passage. Strengthen the weak hands. Make feeble the weak knees. Make people strong who were in fear. Open the eyes of blind. Unstop deaf people's hearing. Make people who can't walk leap like deers. Read the passage. You see, the religious leaders thought there was, you're not doing it right. Some of the simplest, most amazing expositions of Scripture that I've ever heard have happened from people who know three Bible verses because they don't complicate it. All I know is Jesus loves me. And he loves you too. And he wants you to go to heaven. It's the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. Now, yeah, there's a whole lot more to it that you can know. But the bottom line is, 
We're in a crowd of sick people. Let's help them go to the pool and get well. Amen? Don't let them cling to their excuses. People love their excuses. I can't get to the water. The water's too far away. There's too many people in front of me. I can't find it. I'm too busy to go to church. Anybody ever use that one? Hurting? Pastors here, oh, I'm too busy. You don't want to be too busy for Jesus. The truth is, most people, when they don't know the Lord, simply are happy right where they're at because the devil's got them blinded. You've been brought into this world as a child of God to shine some light on that darkness. Let people know that, that you know the one who is the answer to the problem. The problem wasn't that it was a Sabbath. Can I just tell you, God doesn't care what day of the week you worship on. And, and if you want to know what God thinks about it, the Apostle Paul said it. He says, I just treat them all the same. I worship every single day of the week. That's a good practice and principle. It's not about a certain time. It's not about a certain way. It's not about a certain direction. It's not whether your church is shaped like a cross or not. It's not furnishings. It's faith. It's faith that makes us whole. It it wasn't the Sabbath that, that was the problem. It's that people were looking to religion to do what religion can never do. Religion can't save. Only faith can save. Only faith can heal. And so there's some lessons from this pool as we close. And those lessons are very simple. When you look at this passage, that pool of faith, this pool of faith, where you are today, your home, wherever believers are, where two or more are gathered in His name, He's in the midst of them. Amen? So if you're with one other person, guess what? Jesus is in the middle of it. By the way, the Holy Spirit's everywhere all the time, so God's with you every place you go, all day, every day. So the pool of faith is a place where God gets moving in people's lives. It's a place where He's preaching. He's using your life, your experience to speak to other people. Let Him use you. God wants to preach through your life the good news. That pool of faith lets people know that God's still alive. You know, I, I don't know how many of you were around in the 1970s, late 60s and 70s, but there was a bumper sticker that said, God is dead. Boy, were they wrong. Because not only was he alive then, he's still alive today, and he's going to be alive because he is the one who was and is and is to come. Amen? So make sure you have a live God. The pool of faith that this man walked into preached a live Christ that's still alive today, still healing people today. Able now. Not just some guy from a book 2,000 years ago but the Christ who is living in you today. That pool of faith is a pulpit from which God preaches. God wants to use your life to preach by faith what has been done with you to people around you. Can you imagine this man? Because for 38 years he went to the same pool. And for 38 years other people joined him. Many of them were actually healed. For 38 years, people 
who were religious came and said, well, there's that guy. He must really be on bad side, bad terms with God. Can you imagine the turnaround once they saw that guy? We don't know how long he lugged his bed around. Maybe he lugged it around for weeks, months, years. I don't know. But there were a lot of people in Jerusalem who knew this man's story. Can you imagine what that transformation did? God was using him to preach faith to those who saw him. Every time somebody saw him and knew who he was, what happened to you? You're that person. You see, that pool of faith was also a sign that God was still listening. A lot of people say, well, God doesn't listen to my prayers. God doesn't hear me. Yes, He does. And He's listening still. He was listening that day, and He had been listening all those 38 years. But he was waiting for that man to respond in faith. We don't know all the reasons why God delayed so long, but we know this. God was listening because he responded 38 years later. There's no reason to believe this man wasn't believing he was going to be healed on the first day. Sometimes God delays. God's listening. And finally, as the worship team comes back up, The pool of faith, like for you, like for me today, is a sign that God still loves us. He's still concerned about you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. You see, Jesus did not have to heal this man. There's no indication that this man had done anything to make him worthy of being healed. The simple fact of the matter is that God healed him because he loved him. This man was loved of God. He was hated of the world, despised of the world. But he was loved of God. And you are loved of God. Would you stand with me? You see, the proud people of that day misunderstood what was going on. And I pray that's not you. We have a team of prayer warriors that have been praying in our prayer room to my left. Praying for you. Praying for your situation. Praying for your life. Praying for salvation for those of you that maybe came today and you don't know the Lord Jesus and you're saying, I, I don't even know what you're talking about, Pastor Jeff. The truth of the gospel is is that Jesus Christ, God's own Son, the same one that healed this man, came into this world for the express purpose that the world through him would be saved. So much so that he would go on to say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. The Apostle Paul quoted there in the book of Acts that there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. That same pool of faith is swirling today. I want to pray with you and pray for you. And I want to simply say, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you have an opportunity to meet Him personally today, right now. All those questions you've had, God has the answers to them. 
And he wants to give you those answers. But you've got to step out in faith. Would you join me in praying? Father, I want to pray right now for anyone who's here. Lord, for anyone who's saying, I want to know Jesus. I need to be healed. My life's a mess. It's a wreck. And I don't know how to fix it. God, would you by your Spirit speak into their lives right now the message of the Gospel that you came as a man lived a sinless life. You died on Calvary's cross, were buried three days later, you rose, and you live forevermore. And those who believe in you will have eternal life simply by believing by faith. And so, Lord, that simple gospel, convict and convince. And Lord, we pray for those of us that maybe are carrying some burden today. We've come to the pool and we need a touch from you. Would you touch? You You know what is broken. You know what is hurt. You know what is sick. And so we ask corporately for you to touch us and heal us. We thank you for grace. We thank you for the faith to believe and pray, Lord, that you would bless us as your church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.